welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And we are here for another special excerpt edition, which means that we are talking to a Canadian YA author, and that is Stephen Beresne. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Stephen, in case people are not aware of you or the book that we've asked you to come on and talk about, can you give us a quick introduction? Absolutely. So we're here to talk about I Want Superpowers, which is my YA dystopian superhero book. And it focuses on a character named Caitlin. And she lives in a society where young people may or may not develop powers. And if they do, then they are sent across the river to live on an island with other people who do have powers. And sort of the little backstory is that most of the world has been destroyed by a war between people with and without powers. And part of the peace agreement is sort of this separation of societies. But since people without powers do still have children with powers, this is sort of part of the agreement. And Caitlin is one of the people who sort of bought into the propaganda that this is a good thing and her parents will get rewarded and her borough will get rewarded for every child that does manifest powers. And she really wants to be something super so this is her story it feels like it's informed by a number of different kinds of both dystopian texts but also superhero texts for sure so why don't you begin by giving us a little bit more history and tell us how did you get into writing and why did you decide to write ya so I got into writing quite young. I think it started sort of around grade two. I wrote this quite terrible four-line poem in French <laughs> class, which got published in the grade school anthology. And seeing my, my work in print, you know, with that plastic binding and photocopied, and it just spoke to me in, in such a primal way that from then on, I... I have continued writing. That really was the, the genesis. And in terms of how I went from that to YA, it kind of came back to some of the fantasy YA fantasy books that I read when I was a teenager or even like a little before my teens. And it kind of gave me a bit of an out being a, a closeted gay kid. That was a bit of an escape for me. And then writing was a way than of taking and creating worlds and having a, a sense of power myself. It wasn't me just reading other people's stories. I was getting a, a sense, of, I had an outlet and it was sort of a confidence builder for me and it, it really engaged me. And frankly, I think it helped with my anxiety and with my depression. And I think maybe that's why I still have such a strong desire to do young adult stories because there it was sort of a, a very tumultuous time of my life and I still, I think, relate to it. We've had a number of conversations over the course of a bunch of different episodes about how seminal YA can be because it's such a tumultuous time and people are coming of age and they're experiencing weird new things, their bodies are changing, which is very pertinent to your story. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you were growing up closeted and this was a kind of escape for you. How did that end up informing the kinds of stories that you were writing? 
So my first novel is called Queeros. It's also a YA story. It's also a superhero story. And it focuses on a group of teens, gay teens who develop superpowers in a small town. And it was very much inspired by things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But it was also uh, kind of informed by my desire to have gay characters front and center and have a large number of gay characters front and center in Buffy, we have the character of Willow who comes out, but so, and she does wind up having a girlfriend, but it's still the side character, and it's still predominantly uh, a very straight cast. So I think a lot of my inspiration once I started writing these books that actually did go on to be published was coming from a lot of TV that I was watching. It's interesting you say that because what you're describing right now and the beginning especially of I Want Superpowers gave me a real like X-Men vibe, (laughs) like the idea of sort of coming of age and mutants and the idea of being an outsider, but sort of wanting to contribute and all of those kinds of ideas that often get wrapped into why people who feel like they're on the margins really relate to characters like X-Men. Absolutely. And I was a big X-Men fan of the comic books. And I read The New Mutants, and uh, I really did like a lot of those sort of teenage storylines, and I related to them a lot. And then in terms of I Want Superpowers, one of the things that I wanted to explore was I think about the henchmen or the people in The Hunger Games who are sort of the, the faceless soldiers. And I kind of asked myself the question, well, what if our hero became one of those faceless soldiers? And that becomes part of Caitlin's journey where she winds up becoming one of these people who are not really the good people Mm. in the way that we as readers are often looking for our our heroes or heroines to be. And she has to go through that journey and find her way back to her original values and figure out how she's going to how she is going to become a hero ultimately. And that was one of the ideas I wanted to play around with in addition to sort of the the usual superhero tropes. I don't know if you've seen Austin Powers, but they sort of make jokes about the the henchmen and, <laughs> and you know, their, their lives at home and things like that. And that sort of was sort of like playing in the back of my brain, but wanting to play it out in a, a less comedic way. I always like the idea of a superpowered world that also has normal people in it or people who are on the ground and they're surveying the destruction or they're picking up after those people and what are their stories. So I like the combination of both the superpowers as well as that dystopian element because it lends a natural conflict to the proceedings. So it feels like two very distinct conflicts coming into conflict with one another and that makes for great storytelling. There's a comic called Superhuman Resources that's <laughs> about like the HR team for a superhero team. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> we have you here, Stephen, to talk about I Want Superpowers predominantly for sure. But I'm wondering if you would want to talk to us a little bit about your writing process and also how that writing process has evolved over time or across the books that you've written so far. For sure. So I think back to my first fantasy novel, which is sitting in a plastic bin in my crawl space at the moment. (laughs) I do still hope that it will see the light of day. And I think about how many times I would rewrite a chapter before moving on to the next chapter and then go back and then start rewriting stuff before the book was even done. And then winding up having this thing that was like 500 pages long and 
finally being told that, well, no, that's just way too long. And then having to mm. take all this stuff out. And one of my, my big lessons from that was to not rewrite until I have some kind of draft from beginning to end. There might be some right. holes in it. There might be some stuff that I haven't quite figured out. But my process now is to write a first draft as quickly as possible and to just accept that it is going to be garbage and to be okay with that. And I never am because I, <laughs> I somehow always think that I've gotten it because, you know, it's the difference between what's going on in my head and what actually made it onto the page. And then as I'm rereading it, I'm like, oh, my God, there's still so much heavy lifting to do. But I still think it's more efficient than my previous process of trying to make it perfect as I go along, which didn't work anyway. No, that process <laughs> never works. And yeah, for really some reason, doesn't. we're just naturally <laughs> driven to try to do it that way. Yeah. And I think part of that comes from a bit of a fear and an insecurity. As writers, I think we're naturally self-critical. And so I think we're just trying to protect ourselves. And by giving myself permission to write something terrible, it still doesn't feel good when I come back to reread it. But it, it's become part of the process. I'd like to say I'm used to it, but I'm really not. But it helps and it works. Well, and revision is hard, right? Like just the process of revisiting something you've written, being willing to like take it apart. I think that's where a lot of people lose the process, right? Yeah. That's the really hard work stage of writing. It's the less fun part. And it's really not until I get to the later stage where it really is just polishing, where I experience the most amount of joy. Sure. There's so much kind of upset and just like, why am I doing this in the, in the early drafts? But perseverance. I have a colleague at the college who always tells her students that a major part of her writing process is crying. Yeah, oh, I, I don't I don't generally literally cry, but internally I, I, I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm breaking my insides again. Yeah. So you said that you try to get out a first draft as quickly as possible. How long are we talking? I probably wrote the first draft of I Want Superpowers in like two or three months. Okay. And it was awful. Like it, it changed a lot and the, the concepts changed a lot. And some of the initial ideas did wind up staying, but other interesting things did come through. You know, for instance, I had to decide, I won't give away too many spoilers, but one of the decisions was, is Caitlin going to get powers or is she not going to get powers? And mm -hmm. the initial decision is different than what I wound up going with because the ideas that were coming out of the way I wound up going were far more interesting. It was opening up more doors and creating more interesting scenes. And I was like, oh, okay, this isn't the book I thought I was going to write, but here we go. That's really interesting that something so sort of pivotal has yeah. morphed so much from beginning to end. I think that's really good for people who are aspiring writers to hear, you know, about just how dramatically different the first draft can be from what actually gets published. Yeah. And how sometimes you just, you can't be so wedded to an idea that it then infringes on the real story that you're trying to tell. Yeah. And I do like creating some kind of an outline. It does help. And I generally kind of know that that outline is going to change dramatically. One thing that I really liked about the setting of I Want Superpowers is this idea of really the characters are just one generation removed from now, right? I mean, pretty much. Like, Caitlin's mother has a pretty normal life from the perspective of the reader. And so I love that kind of near future dystopia idea. Can you talk a little bit about your process when it comes to writing the sort of genre, like superheroes, dystopian kind of stuff? 
Yeah, well, in terms of Caitlin's mom, I wanted her to at least remember the old world a little bit. And mm -hmm. I don't get into a huge amount of detail on it because it didn't feel like it was going to come out naturally. But sort of what I was thinking in my mind was that Caitlin's mom did experience parts of the war and she was a very little girl, but we don't know her full story and she doesn't mm -hmm. talk about her full story. And I do have some ideas for that. And I don't know Ooh. if I'll ever explore that fully with that character, but I think there's something interesting to be explored there potentially. And hopefully there'll be many more books. And having answered that, I've now forgotten your initial question, which I don't <laughs> think was actually about that. It was about the process of writing genre, right? Like superhero yes. genre or just yes. genre. Yeah. So you've mentioned that, you know, there are hints of other books. And so I was very much influenced and inspired by things like The Hunger Games and Insurgent and Kick-Ass as well. Oh, yeah. So some of it, I, I knew I wanted to start out with something that was in a dystopian world with superpowers because I was thinking there's something interesting to be explored there. Then, okay, well, generally you're in a broken world. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, how did that world get broken? Well, it kind of makes sense that there would be this conflict and this war between people with powers and not with powers. And we see that a lot in, you mentioned the X-Men stories. And so that mm. was a natural fit. And then I was thinking, okay, so what is going to be kind of the society? What's going to be kind of the interesting things? And there have been instances in our history where one culture has taken children from another culture. And I didn't base that too much in real life examples, but it has happened. And so it felt like a realistic thing that could happen. And so when you when you have these these kids that are be taken from the boroughs and then taken across the river to Jupiter Island, then I was thinking, well, okay, how are they gonna spin this? Because it's kids, so people tend to be a little attached to them and get a little emotional about them. So it had to be kind of culturally <laughs> embedded that, you know, oh, this is for the greater good. And this was one of the reasons that I chose to not have this being sort of a close future world. I didn't want it to be so ingrained that people took it completely as normal, but they kind of had to pretend that they did. Right. Because, you know, right across the river, are these people with superpowers, and they could technically just come in and start destroying things. But everybody also saw where that led before, destroying most of the world. So there's also this interest on both sides to maintain this weird, uncomfortable peace where they're technically separate governments, but you know who's more powerful, and there's just these weird sort of undercurrents. And that's a lot of what I, I kind of came to and found interesting. And I was like, yeah, there's a lot to play with here. And it's not always going to be completely explored and fleshed out because I don't think it, it always does. Like sometimes people are like not talking about things or they mention little things and realize, oh, well, we shouldn't really talk about this. And we see that a little bit in Caitlin, who tends to say a bit too much, and she's just starting to learn how not to do that. Right. Well, speaking of Caitlin, that segues nicely into the next question that I have, and then I might let Joe talk. I don't know. I'll think about it. But my question is... She's so bossy. <laughs> with Caitlin, I mean, obviously Caitlin is different from you in like myriad ways, but you've made the choice to write the story from the perspective of a character with a different gender presentation than you obviously Correct. and i'm just wondering what that process was like for you how you kind of found that character or got into that voice and, and what the challenges of that might have been if any 
definitely some challenges. The reason I chose to do a female presenting character because I had not done that before and I wanted to challenge myself and I was curious, could I make this work? And if I felt like it was a dud, then it would have joined my fantasy novel and no one would have ever seen it. (laughs) But growing up, when I was a kid, I did not present as male. People thought I was a girl. I was effeminate. And, you know, when you're a kid, you can kind of kind of go either way a bit more easily. Mm. And my mannerisms were such and my voice was such that it was kind of a confusing time. And I didn't identify with being a boy. I didn't like boyish things. And I think that probably helped. Not that I intentionally tapped into that. And the character of Caitlin is a very strong female. And it's not like I felt that way as a kid. But I think I, I definitely admired certainly like Wonder Woman and other strong female characters like Storm from the X-Men. And I think like a, a lot of gay men, I identified with and admired strong women because seeing them being strong sort of let me know that I could have feminine characteristics and still be strong as well. So I think that's more probably what I tapped into for the character of Caitlin. Oh, that's really interesting. My big thing was I just so appreciated, even in those early chapters, that you made very explicit the male-identifying characters and the female-identifying characters. Like, that use of language, I think, is just so, so valuable and really, really important. It sounds like it had a personal, like, you had a personal relationship to it, but I think it's also just really important, like, language does have an impact and to read that that is fantastic like it really spoke to me as a way to move forward and make people who are working through their gender or who are maybe not specifically presenting in a particular fashion I think it helps them to get to a place of acceptance for me there's also an element of realism to it right like in a near future dystopia if People are still experiencing the same gender politics as we are right now. A, that's depressing. And B, um, it suggests, I don't know. I really appreciated seeing a near future dystopia that pushed the social needle forward a little bit on a few issues. I felt like that Mm -hmm. lended to the realism of the future setting. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. And it's interesting because that language, I didn't incorporate it into until almost the last couple of drafts, which is quite late in the stage. It's pretty much just final polishing at that point. And what happened was I was reading, rereading the scene where this quite attractive guy comes to the door. And the way I originally wrote it, it was the girls in the class reacted to that. And uh, here I am, a gay man. And you and I are like, "Hmm, no, that doesn't speak to me. And that's the thing. And yet... I think we're all still kind of trained to think a certain way. And I realized like, oh my God, how I wrote Queeros, like for exactly this reason. And yet here I am. And so then I start rewriting it so that it can be inclusive of gay men. And then I'm thinking, well, wait, not all the girls are going to be into him. So then I have to incorporate that language into it. And then I realized, well, hold on, like then... I'm making certain gender assumptions as well, like just in the wording that I was using. And the sentence that I wound up 
coming up with initially was so long and so like having to mention every and I was just like oh my god this is this this is unreadable and I was kind of having this weird panic attack because I'm like I know I have to do something but I'm just in a way making it horrible to read and finally I realized like I just take a step back like what am I actually trying to say here and then I realized that all I'm trying to say is that anybody who's attracted to guys straightened up and kind of toss their hair or whatever but it really just came down to anybody who's into guys that's how they reacted yeah. and then it that long convoluted horrible sentence just got really simplified it still acknowledged the people who needed to be acknowledged and i'm like oh my god and i felt like oh look at me being a good writer <laughs> but it, it just sort of made me realize that you know it did take some time to step back and think about it but then it became way easier having thought about it properly that one time. Yeah. So you talked about that as a late occurring stage in the writing process. Let's jump ahead to the part where the book is finished. What is it like to finish a book, to try to get it out into the world, to see it in print, to see people holding it? What is that like? It's pretty cool. The process of getting it into so I did this one I, I self-published several of my other books went through a more traditional publishing route and trying to get an agent trying to get a publisher that is quite frustrating and right. there is something cool about having taught myself the self-publishing route for this one and to have gotten it onto ebooks I've gotten it onto audiobooks. So all of these things were learning curves for me. And I'm not saying it's for everyone. I'm not saying I want to do this for every book. But then to have also gotten it, you know, it won an award in an indie book contest. So I feel there was more of an accomplishment to just writing the book, but also to following through on these other steps to make sure it could actually get out there, learning on how to use Amazon's advertising system, figuring out you know, strategically how to get it onto an Amazon bestseller list. It really was more the business side of things. And it's not what I imagined when I was looking at that poem in print back in grade school. But it kind of made me realize, okay, there are things I can do as a writer to take control of my own situation if other forces aren't aligning in the way that I would hope. Mm-hmm. It's not a natural fit to have to wear all these different hats. It's weird. But it is... Unfortunately, I think it's a reality for a lot of authors nowadays. Yeah. Like, it's just not easy to get book deals. And even if you've had them before, sometimes you're just like, you know what? I want to have control of yeah. this. So one of the mandates of our podcast is to try to highlight Canadian writers, of which, of course, you are one. But it's interesting because when I was reading through I Want Superpowers, I was like, this isn't giving off a specific geographical feel. So I'm wondering... Do you feel like there's something to being a Canadian writer? Does it inform the way that you write? Or is it you are a Canadian and you are also a writer? So I don't stop and think about it a lot, but I am a Canadian writer. I think it it must influence me in ways that I'm probably unaware of. I remember in high school, we read a book by Margaret Atwood analyzing Canadian literature and looking at the different themes and you know she talked about the nature theme and like survival I was gonna and, say it was survival that's exactly that's right that's what it was called <laughs> and 
I don't think I fit in necessarily into that category. She, she was writing very much about a particular kind of Canadian literature and very much of the time. And Honestly, she was also writing that book because the publishing house she was writing it for was going to go out of business. And she was like, I'm going to make a textbook and they'll have to teach it in every school, in every Canadian literature class, and that'll keep this press afloat. That's hilarious. I did not know that backstory. (laughs) Yep. Well, this is why I keep a teacher on the podcast. So well done. Well done. Although I kind of feel, Joe, that maybe you're the one being kept on the podcast, but I don't know. I don't want to get involved in that dynamic. Joe does all the work, Uh, though. Perfect. Perfect. You guys have got it figured out. Uh, Having said that, I think that I've traveled a lot, and I think traveling as a Canadian is different than traveling as someone from the US and that influences my writing. And so I think it, it circles back in ways that I'm not fully cognizant of. I also think that probably growing up in Canada, which, you know, relative to some places and I think is more forward thinking than the US when it comes to sort of social issues and gay marriage and healthcare, I think things like that do wind up affecting my mentality. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a specific example of maybe how that's played out, but maybe even the fact that I really wanted this world of all gay teen superheroes and, and queeros could be coming from the fact that I'm in an environment where I feel like it's time for that. But I might be going out on a limb. There might be some American in your audience who's like, what? No, I think the same thing. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> um. This has all been really, really interesting. And I, I'm hesitating, Joe, because I'm like, we're getting to the last question. And I feel like there's still more to talk about with this book. But we are an adaptation podcast. That's what we focus on primarily. And so our question for you is, if I want superheroes, or sorry, let me start that again. <laughs> if I, want super, I do want superheroes. Okay. I want them too. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could see I Want Superpowers adapted to film, do you have in your mind like a perfect cast, perfect director, perfect screenwriter, somebody you would love to work with, somebody who you think could see this book realized to the screen? So I hesitate to use the word perfect because in my experience, <laughs> you know, perfection takes many forms. But I... So political, Right, correct. right. <laughs> so zen though. But also as I've come to realize, you know, you can edit to death and at a certain point, you just have to step back and be like, this is this is what it is. And mm. it's, it's never going to be quite perfect because what does that even mean? But I gave some thought to this and a couple of the actresses from Teen Wolf came up. I confess that I, oh, I had probably watched quite a bit of Teen Wolf before writing this one. I <laughs> uh, don't know if there are any fans out there, but for instance, there's the actress Shelley Hennig. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but she played Malia. And I could see her playing a Caitlyn. Mm-hmm. Although she is quite pretty. So, but she, you know, she messed up her hair a bit. <laughs> and listen, I... Give her glasses and exactly, a ponytail. Exactly, she'll be fine. And don't worry, I'm, I don't have my heart set on her, but if we're, if we're looking for people who are already out there, I also thought from Teen Wolf, Arden Cho could play Lillianne if she's willing to be a bit more of a bitch than, than her character on Teen Wolf. I don't know if you guys watched the show Incorporated, which sadly only had one season. But actor Eddie Ramos, or Ramos, could see him playing Brady. As long as they're cute and look good with their shirt off, I'd (laughs) probably be fine with whoever they choose for Brady. 
And then I thought Keenan Lonsdale from uh, who's Kid Flash in the show The Flash oh, could maybe yeah. be Normand. I don't know. Oh, could be an interesting choice. Cool. Yeah. So use your connections, please. Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> We are going to be covering uh, Simon versus the Homo Sapien agenda. Excellent. I look forward to that episode. <laughs> Those are all good picks. It's a very young cast, yeah. So I guess that would. Make I sense. just fear they're aging before this is going to come to fruition. <laughs> so we're going to have to start from scratch. Right, and also, unfortunately, Canadian adaptations are—they are a rare beast, which is a sad thing. That's what for we're us. realizing as we try to stock this podcast with Canadian yes. content. <laughs> yes, but I have faith. I have faith in your abilities. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stephen, where can people find you online if they want to chat more about your book? So my website is stephenbresne.com and I can get emailed through that. Okay. And we will link to that in the show notes so that it's easy for people to find. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us. It's been my pleasure. All right. And you'll have to let us know the next time a book is on the horizon. You know that I will. Okay. Thanks again. Thank you.